2: You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of Sorry to Bother You.
1: That is intriguing. I'm just out here surviving, and what I'm doing right now won't even matter. Baby, baby, it will always matter. You said you fixed that. Get a room. I got a room, motherfucker.
2: Hey, Cash. How much
1: longer do I got to wait for my money? God made this land for all of us. Greedy people like you want to hog it to yourself and your family. And Me and you. my family? Yeah. Cash, I'm your fucking uncle. I just really need a job. This is telemarketing. Stick to the script. Hello. Uh, this is Cash's Green. Sorry to bother you. I I just wanted to. Mi- you want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice? Like this young blood.
0: Hey, Mr. Kramer, this is
2: Langston from Regal View. Was that Visa or MasterCard? We go level
1: up! You're going upstairs, my compadre. OK, bravo.
2: You don't have to sell out. I'm not selling out. Here's the starting salary. Well, man i'm gonna have to get me some new suits we will have a transformative experience fuck you fuck you fuck you
1: hey i'm doing something i'm really good at
2: hala the old you was way more interested you are rolling with the big dogs now
1: Greetings, Cassius Green. I hope you did not masturbate today. We need you sharp and ready to go.
2: Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Sorry to Bother You, and the story is as follows. Cassius Green is a 30-something black telemarketer with self-esteem issues, and he discovers a magical selling power living inside of him. Suddenly, he's rising up the ranks to the elite team of his company, which sells heinous products and services. The upswing in Cassius' career raises serious red flags with his brilliant girlfriend, Detroit, a sign-twirling gallery artist who is secretly a part of a Bansky-style collective called Left Eye. But the unimaginable hits the fan when Cassius meets the company's cocaine-snorting, orgy-hosting, obnoxious and relentlessly optimistic. Mystic CEO Steve Lift. The film is starring Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Stephen Yun, Jermaine Fowler, Army Hammer, and Omari Hardwick. It is written and directed by Boots Riley. Join me for this review. I have my co host Will Mavedy.
0: Hey there, this is Langston
2: from Regalview. And we also have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. <laughs> Josh decided not to do the voice. <laughs> I leave all voices to Will. Well, is everyone ready to have a transformative experience? (laughs) I'm going to have to get me some new suits. Oh, my Lord. What a movie. My God. This is a whole lot of movie. Let me just start off by saying that Um, we're not going to go into spoilers for this necessarily. And my reasoning for that is because this is by far the most original movie of the year, I think. And there is something to be said going into this movie as blind as completely possible as you can. And I I just don't want to ruin that experience for anyone. So it's going to be hard to kind of dance around this movie, but we're going to do the best that we can, obviously. So why don't we first start off actually uh, with you, Will. Uh, Let's hear what you ultimately thought of Sorry to Bother You.
0: I wish I had been able to see this film as blind as some people did at Sundance. Yep, I was one of them. Yeah, you were. Uh, I knew a little bit about it just from the trailers, including the the white voice, which, because it's part of the marketing, we can talk about. Um, that being said... I had no idea where this film was going in the third act, and I can genuinely say I have never seen anything like it. It's not subtle by any stretch of the imagination, but it is timely and relevant. Boots Riley proves to be an incredibly visually inventive director, reminding me a lot of Michelle Gondry's work in Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. And the film is angry. It has something to say, um... On top of being a important progressive message, it's absolutely hilarious. It's a gem to watch. Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson are two of my favorite uh, up-and-coming actors. In short, go see this movie. Utterly bizarre, but I loved it. All right. What about you, Parm?
1: Well, you know, you mentioned that this is a lot of movie. And it, it is. There is a lot happening in this film. And I echo a lot of what... Will has said. It is definitely creative and inventive and really unlike anything that has really come out this year. It is a very, very unique film. Forever. Yeah. It, it is kind of bizarre how much uh, creativity is just stuffed into this movie. I do think that sometimes it runs away with itself a little bit and I think that it is trying to tackle so many themes that... It does feel a little too much at times, I will admit to that, but at the same time, I do think that because this movie is so unique and because the messages that are in it are so interesting and powerful, it is still really worth checking out, and yeah, the performances are all great, I think especially Tessa Thompson, she might be my favorite part of the film, and yeah, it is definitely one of the most, if not completely the most unique experience you're going to get going to the movies at all this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, we had a choice on our hands uh, whether or not to review this or review Ant-Man and the Wasp. And no disrespect to Marvel, uh, we've done plenty of Marvel reviews here at the Next Best Picture podcast, but I couldn't pass off the opportunity to talk about this movie with everyone because when I did see it at Sundance and it was the first time anybody had seen the movie, like like you were saying, Will, completely blind, um, I didn't know what to make of it. I really had no idea what I had just seen, what I had just experienced. Um, My thought process was very all over the place um, because, to your point, Parm, there are so many ideas contained within this movie. I was hopeful when Boots Riley took the stage after the movie and I raised my hand as high in the air as I possibly could, waving it practically, pick me, pick me, when he said I'm opening it up to questions from the audience. And the only thing I could think to ask Boots Riley was where the hell did the idea for this movie come from? Because I was just so dumbfounded that I just needed to understand how this man's mind worked. And he gave me an answer And I have a video of him giving me the answer, actually. And I've watched it several times. And the answer makes sense, but it also doesn't make sense. And I say that because while his intentions definitely make sense and all the things that he's trying to tackle with this film, from activism, race, slave labor, socialism, capitalism, like it's all in this movie. uh, There's discussions about politics. There's discussion about art. I mean this idea of do we put on a performance are we real or are we fake in order to achieve success what is success I mean like these are all questions I'm going to ask you guys in just a minute but all of this stuff runs through your mind while you're watching the movie and while I feel like Boots Riley is very very aware of what it is he's trying to accomplish with this I do feel it does kind of like you said run away with itself and it does scream first time director to me you know wildly overly ambitious um but just isn't able to kind of hone it all in and present something that could resonate maybe a bit more strongly what is going to resonate is how wild the movie is and that's what ultimately people are going to remember about it but i do wonder if there was a way it could have just been something more um impactful if it had just been more focused does that make sense
1: yeah, yeah. There, there are times where it feels like there's like five movies crammed into like one scene <laughs> in this film. And I definitely do agree with you that it, it does come across sometimes that this does feel like a first time filmmaker and somebody who is kind of finding their way to actually kind of successfully execute a story in terms of a visual medium. And oftentimes I think Boots Riley does very much uh, succeed at that. I do think it is a very good-looking movie. But I also feel like there's a lot of points in it where you kind of feel a little bit of amateurish filmmaking in terms of how certain things are set up, how certain scenes are are kind of framed and executed. And Can you give us some examples?
2: The crowd scenes?
1: The crowd scene, yeah. That I think that's the big one.
2: Yeah... I would say Vos. I would. I would definitely say there's some stuff in the third act, like you were saying a minute there, uh, Parm, about how it's kind of like five movies in one. I mean, there's stop motion animation in this movie. <laughs> like, it, it, it's it, it's so it's so tonally all over the place. Uh, it's mixing like so many different um, tones of comedy, and I, I do feel the budget just from a look perspective. Even though, yes. Michelle Gondry, great example that was brought up a second ago. I'll also even bring up Spike Jones and the work that he did with Charlie Kaufman for something like, say, being John Malkovich. I would say that there is an inventive quality to the filmmaking, but it's not polished. I think that's the right word I'm looking for.
0: Yeah, but it doesn't need to be polished. I mean, I, I, I think at the end of the day... This is raw filmmaking, and you say the tone's all over the place, but I would argue it's pretty consistently dark comedy throughout. I mean, it, it is tar black comedy, it's dark absurdist, but it, it pretty much stays pretty consistently on that tone. And I can think of a lot of great movies we like that do incorporate, you know, bits of animation into the storytelling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, like, this isn't the first one to do that. I don't think that means it feels like multiple movies. Um, the, the way Boots explained an RQ&A that kind of made me feel a little bit better about some of his decisions in the third act is that you have a character like Cassius Green, who is so deeply embedded in this world of being a corporate sellout and a sellout to his peers... What could possibly be so bad that it would make him reconsider the place he has taken up with people? And the answer that Booth's Riley came up with, while dramatic, it, in all honesty, I will admit, and like, yeah, I mean, he's doing enough terrible things. I don't know that what short of this would cause him to change his mind. I mean,. It needed to be something extreme and absurd in the third act to make this person who is involved in the worst kind of almost illegal dealings. You know what I mean? And if it wasn't that, what was it going to be?
2: Well, let's take it. Let's take it to uh, bare basics here, then, for a second. He's living in uh, his uncle's garage with Tessa Thompson. Uh, he ends up getting into telemarketing sales. Which uh, has anyone here ever
0: done telemarketing sales? I have no, no but I've I've covered plenty of phones, and I understand how irritating that can be.
2: Yeah, so I, I did telemarketing sales for I believe three months. I, I I couldn't I couldn't do it any more than that. And I've done phone sales. Uh, ever since then. I'm a salesman myself by day, um, but I don't do telemarketing anymore. So needless to say, I was definitely relating a lot to what was going on. This idea of success and this idea of what does success mean, what does one have to become in order to achieve that success, right? He has to don the quote-unquote white voice, as it were, which by the way, uh, David Cross, who provides the uh, the white voice in this movie for Lakeith, I mean some of the some of the funniest laughs in the film come from those moments alone. Um, side tangent for a second before I continue on with my my thematica. Uh, um, uh, interpretation here. Uh, did anybody else feel that the lip syncing for the white
0: voice was slightly off? Yes. Yeah, but it, I think it's supposed to be. It's not supposed, you know, that, that just adds to the comedy. Okay, because I, I thought that was very distracting personally.
1: I mean, it does add to the absurdity of the world. I do think that it is slightly distracting at times, though, when it doesn't seem to quite sync up but then again it does kind of feed into just how weird this world is anyway so it's one of those things where you can either kind of buy into it or it can bother you
2: well yeah and sorry to bother you um uh, in any event though cash is green another side tangent great name by the way like cash is Green.
0: green yeah
2: Oh, fantastic! Um, but anyway, he ends up ascending a, uh, atop the corporate ladder, and it made me like you know start to obviously question what does one have to do in order to achieve success? You know, a lot of people would like to think that uh, honesty, hard work, is what gets you to the top. But clearly, as he starts to rise, we realize that that is not the case, and we see then that that is kind of personified by Army Hammer's character in this movie, who is like. The perfect definition of white success because it's Army Hammer, you know like like that's just brilliant casting right there. You cast like the guy right now who's got the most ideal masculine voice the pretty boy looks. he's like on top of the world right now after you know call me by your name. everybody loves Army Hammer. and it's amazing to see like just what a complete nut job he is. And how much um, uh, Cassius Green's own personality, like we see him change throughout the course of the film, and we see him um, kind of then start to question, like you were saying there, Will, um, is it all worth it? Is what I'm doing uh, truly, you know, what I got into this to, to, you know, for the right reasons to begin with, and so on and so forth. And I definitely think that everyone's interpretation of what one has to do in order to achieve success um, says a lot about everyone's character. So depending on like your own interpretation of it, Will, or Josh's interpretation of it, you know, it's like this is a movie where through conversation I could find out a lot about you guys in terms of your morals and ethics and so on and so forth. I think that's very fascinating.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a movie that, like, you know, that is definitely a part of it. It's not certainly the only thing that the
2: movie's talking about. Oh, no, no, no. We'll be here for like 17 hours if we try to tackle everything about this movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean definitely the the notion of Kind of success, and especially I think success in America and success as a person of color in America, dealing in a very you know predominantly white society. I, I think that the movie is making very strong commentaries about what you have to sacrifice and the ideals that you have to take on in order to get to that place. And you know, you also talk about Army Hammer. You know, Army Hammer is a guy who also has kind of been at on the receiving end of people sort of saying you're kind of maybe only successful because you're white you know whether you believe that or not he has been the recipient of that criticism so it makes his casting even more interesting in this film knowing that that baggage is already there kind of in the real world
2: (laughs) yeah i mean because he was a kind of actor that they like hollywood did try to kind of you know slingshot him to the moon essentially casting him in roles that quite honestly didn't really gel well for him and work out and I think he's really found himself over the last couple of years with stuff like Nocturnal Animals Call Me By Your Name and now this where he's proven to be a really really wonderful supporting actors, uh, supporting actor slash almost character actor you know he's, he's shown his versatility more through that than being a leading man and on the flip side of that there's Lakeith Stanfield who hasn't had a chance to lead a film yet and has really stood out in a lot of things, like Short Term 12, obviously, and stuff like Get Out. And he's got a wonderful role on Atlanta uh, as well. And to see him, like, you know, do the opposite and take a leading role in this film, but yet in a very odd, like, uh, contrast, he's not really what I would say, what I would call charismatic, Um and, and really like that distinct of a personality, instead he acts more as a vessel for the audience, so the audience can place themselves in that character's shoes, and everybody can see themselves within that character going through this wacky, wild world. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, he's as much of a straight man as a straight man can be in this world that the movie has invented.
0: Yeah, you know, it was pretty crazy, even as recently as... Last year, we were still getting pieces on why does Hollywood keep trying to make Army Hammer happen, too. Oh, yeah. Like, right before Call Me By Your Name came out, which is pretty wild. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. He's finally earned that
2: acceptance. And instead, in this movie, he's doing, like, the biggest line of coke that you've ever seen in your wildest dreams, and walking around in this, um... I can't remember, is it a bathrobe? Like, what is it he's wearing?
1: Yeah, he... It's like... It's not really a bathrobe. It's almost like... I don't want to say a kimono, but it it's a weird thing yeah it it's it has like a dressy type thing to it
2: I gotta ask a, a very specific question now because this has been on my mind since I saw the film. why do we think he has the bandage with the blood stain on it for like an
0: extensively long period of time I mean, does he uh, chronologically isn't it just that a lot of scenes take place over the course of about a day? Like, he gets hit in the head on the way into work that morning, and isn't the party that same night? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not... From a narrative perspective, that's why. And I think from a symbolic perspective, it's just a mark of his shame, of his betrayal, you know? it, And it's, it's, it shows his punishment for all the world to see he can't hide it and try hard as he might to be cool he's now that guy who's gone viral for getting hit in the face with a can for being a scab
1: yeah i mean to me the bandage always sort of felt like you know sort of like you said a a mark of cane or you know Macbeth out out damn spot type of thing you know this thing that he just carries with him all the time because it's shaming him wherever he goes
2: Like he wishes he could fade into the background and be back with everybody else that is collectively in a group. But now that he's ascended to the rank of power caller and he has it's like having a target now on you, essentially. And you're then open to any and all criticism, whether it's warranted or not, essentially, when you become like that high profile of a figure. Is that like I okay? I I could get down with that. That makes a lot of sense now.
1: Yeah,
2: that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I like that. I'm, I'm all for it. Um, what did we think of? What did we think of Stephen Yun from uh, The Walking Dead? Um, I, I asked this question because there's kind of like this weird love triangle that kind of happens in the movie that I don't feel like it just, it just seemed like very out of place
0: to me. Is he a love? Tri- I don't think it's a love triangle. I think it's just more Stephen Yun's character. ...is a bit of a dick. And, you know, I, I think that he is part of Cassius's journey. And I think less than being a love triangle... ...he's almost a secondary antagonist for Cassius' character. Um, you know, in a lot of movies where the protagonist is being a dick... ...there's a guy who is trying to take advantage of the fact... ...that the main character is a dick... ...so he can move in on their girlfriend... Uh, the first example that comes to mind is Ted, you know, but that that's a trope that pops up all the time. And I don't think we call that love triangles. Steven Yeun's fine. I mean, he's, he's a character who stands for something good in some areas, you know, like fighting for higher wages for, you know, the, the people who work in his line of work. But he is also, I mean, he may not be a villain, but he is an antagonist. He's on the opposite side as... Cassius and he's trying to steal his girlfriend. So
1: well, I think it is. I think it is heavily implied, though, that um, that Detroit does sleep with him because there is that point when uh, Cassius asks her about it, and she said that she like fooled around with somebody. I think it's heavily implied that that is supposed to be the the Stephen Yun character.
0: Oh yeah, definitely.
2: I I mean I understand if you want to like show that there's a change in the relationship between Cassius and uh, Detroit. I, I just didn't feel that, that that the story needed that subplot, um, and I and and only because I don't feel like it resolves itself uh, by the end of the film.
1: No, um, I mean the Stephen Young character was another thing that felt like again you got commentaries not only you know going back into capitalism versus socialism, but also the idea of maybe somebody kind of coming into that situation with not the best intentions because he's done this at a bunch of other places. So is he like really invested or is this more of a vanity project for himself? And it's, to me, it's another one of those elements that is raised and it's very interesting, but does it really have the same follow through like some of the other things do? I'm not sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, do we all agree that Tessa Thompson's a uh, standout moment in the movie, other than her amazing earrings that change all throughout um, those alone, by the way, <laughs> I think our, I think those like as like a piece of merchandise are going to continue to sell. Uh, oh yeah, I loved those. Yeah. Oh my god! But uh, do we all agree? Like her best scene is the scene where she puts on the performance piece.
0: Yeah, although that was one of those moments that just felt like the film is getting one of the only times I did feel like it's getting too stuffed with things, just a little too out there. Um, I mean, it's a really well-acted scene on her part, obviously. It just didn't quite fit for me. Mm -hmm. What about you, Josh? What did you make of it?
1: Yeah, I could kind of see that, but I think I was just so enamored by just the scene itself, and whenever Tessa Thompson was on screen, I was just happy because she's my favorite part of the film, that I was just like kind of rolling with it. So, yeah, it, it does seem a little unnecessary and makes the film feel a little bit more overstuffed, but I think that there's a lot of stuff that makes the movie seem that way. And like everything in this movie, you can kind of find a reason to justify it at the same time. So...
2: That's fair. I mean, it's one of those movies where it has so much going on, so many ideas, so many standout moments and scenes that I'd find it very hard if somebody watched this movie and got absolutely nothing out of it.
1: Well, they weren't watching the movie then. They were like looking at their phone the whole time.
2: Yeah, I I feel like there's there's got to be some element in this movie that you can take away from it. Um, it might only be one thing, and you know that could result in a in a negative take or something like that. I'm sure, but it's just got so many pieces. It is it's unbelievable. So that leads me now to ask, uh, what what for you? You know, it could be anything. It, um, a visually inventive moment a laugh-out-loud funny moment, what was something in this movie? And, in in, you know, the devil's in the details. What what was, like, a detailed moment that for you really stood out?
1: You're talking about, like, something very specific in the movie?
2: It could be a, a, a visual gag. It could be a, a line. It could be, you know, anything, really. I mean, because like I said, I, I know that people are going to take away little pieces from the movie. Um, like, I'll give an example. Like, for me, I, I love the I love the first two acts more than I love the third act and I love the little things that boots Riley did uh, to make everything feel very um abs- like very absurdist so like for example the elevator voice uh which is provided by uh, Rosario uh, D- uh Dawson um you know like, like when he hops in the elevator and every morning
0: it basically <laughs> You were at the peak of your sexual... <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope you didn't masturbate. I couldn't even say the words, but,
2: Will, you just did it so perfectly for me. Yeah, that. <laughs> or um, the, the visual of, like, the desk when he makes the call. Um, and he's saying, oh, sorry to bother you at this time, you know, and he dropped... The desk physically drops in into the I room. I love he's that. That, that was them, yeah.
0: so Michelle... That's what made me think of Michelle Gondry the most. Like, those scenes... Like he drops in on somebody having sex when he's trying to talk to them.
2: Oh, it's it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, like that stuff was so much fun, and I was having such a blast with this movie. But but I I do echo that you know the longer it went on, the more it started to lose me. Um, I still I still admire the movie a, a ton, uh, but I I can't say I fully 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 think it's like you know. A cohesive brilliant piece of work you know that has something very singular to say it's got a lot of things it wants to say and as a result it is kind of all over the place but with that said going back though to my original point is there any um any single element that we haven't talked about already in this movie that stood out to you
0: I like the songs Boots Riley created a bunch of original songs and no I'm not talking about the song that um Lakeith Stanfield does at the party oh <laughs> But he has created a bunch of just original song songs for this movie that play throughout it. And the lyrics are hilarious on those. I can't wait till the soundtrack comes out on iTunes. Because obviously, Boots is first and foremost a rap artist. He has a background in clever song lyrics. So, to the point that, in theory, Annapurna could actually launch an original song campaign if they throw their weight behind one of them. You may not notice on a first viewing of the film, but they're there. And some of them are great
1: yeah, the entire music work of this film is pretty solid. I, I really enjoyed it. Um but you know, to actually just briefly talk about that one scene <laughs> of you know this very daring song, I, I actually do remember watching it, and I think that is the scene that I sort of kind of sat up in my chair the most of because it it's one of those scenes where I think the ideas of what the movie's going for come in so clear. And the commentary is so crisp. I mean, we're kind of talking around it because we don't want to spoil it. But I think that when you see it, it, it is basically the scene of Lakeith Stanfield doing this rap song in front of a basically all-white audience. And the way that that is executed and what they are talking about in terms of you know how white culture and black culture kind of collides and what one gets out of the other one is just so pitch perfect and done in the span of like a minute and with very few words (laughs) but it's just so brilliantly done that it it is to me it is the perfect example of what the movie is trying to capture with its message and its themes and i that is my favorite scene of the film
2: awesome cash you are awesome okay let's move over to final thoughts great out of 10 oscar potential uh start off with you first will final thoughts any final thoughts on sorry to bother you
0: Go see it. Go see it in theaters. It, it, it might be a teensy bit overstuffed, but it's angry, but it's also a lot of fun to watch. I give it an 8 out of 10. I really enjoyed it, even with the utterly off-the-chain third act and Oscar potential. I think Boots Riley will get a couple debut filmmaker nominations. Hell, he might even get one of the DGA first-time director slots, although that's not guaranteed. Um, I think the film will get a couple screenplay mentions. It's still, even with the changing Academy, going to be a little too weird, I think, to get any major Oscar love. um, Unless, I guess, they campaign their song. And then either Lakeith or Tessa Thompson might get one of those random Performer of the Year mentions to some critic groups. So it'll show up on the critic circuit and the awards circuit. It's not getting any Oscar nominations, though. You
2: don't think it could show up in the uh, comedy section of the Golden Globes?
0: Yeah, it could. Okay, that's that. Yeah, it could. It could get a Golden Globe comedy actor nomination or something. Uh, that that is certainly possible. But again, that's not the Oscars. And
2: I want to talk about the screenplay for a minute here. Um, do you feel that maybe even in a weak year, do you think the screenplay could uh, breach through? Mm. Like, let's imagine if it was like adapted last year, right, where it was only like five or six movies really going for those five slots. Um, and it was kind of like a done deal and you couldn't yeah, really look elsewhere. but I don't
0: think we're going to have a original screenplay lineup like that this year.
2: Okay. Well, that's – yeah. All right. That's fair. Um, just just also, too, talking about like uh, Boots Riley a little bit here and you know this being his filmmaking debut, like you said, you know he's probably going to get a couple mentions from the critics groups. DGA first-time nominee definitely seems like it's in the cards. Like – we all agree the film it just and i'm just like talking out loud here we all agree the film isn't perfect right? right but we understand and we recognize the talent creativity that is on display from boots and that is what's ultimately garnering most of the praise here yeah 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 like it's like despite despite the fact even if people admit that the film may not fully work altogether like the pieces are enough to get it to that status, right? Like that's, that's the way I'm interpreting all this, right? Cause I'm, I, I got to admit, I am amazed at how much the critical community uh, has embraced it so far. I thought it was going to be a lot more divisive.
1: Yeah.
0: I think the, the film is coming out at a very good time. The film is very angry and I think it tackles so many different things because there's so many things to be angry about. And you know it. It is a hot button film for hot button times, and that anger really speaks to people. Okay. Yeah, I mean,
2: I, yeah, that makes sense. I I, I guess I, I did feel the anger while watching it. I think it just might have been clouded by um, <laughs> the be, the bewilderment. But then again, also too, I did I I did see it blind. You know, and I. You I, know what?
0: I, yeah. I take back what I said. I don't think we have a very strong original screenplay lineup. Oh, so you think the conversation is going to change here a little bit? Yeah, I'm not going to predict it yet, but I'm looking almost everything that looks like a major Oscar contender, except like the favorite and backseat is based on something. You know, even like the old man in the gun is based on a magazine article. So... uh, yeah it it could be in the conversation for an original screenplay. it's certainly yeah you know, it'll certainly benefit from you know the same thing it helped something like her get a nomination where it is undeniably original. It's so off the wall. Okay, you know what I think I think it's definitely in the probably the top 10 conversation for original screenplay.
2: Yeah, so that and song that's what that's what we're gonna walk away with potentially. Yeah, okay, yeah, we'll go with that. All right, yeah, yeah all right I, you know what I, I will echo. Uh, I will I, I will echo that uh, because I, I, too, believe that the song uh, the song is the strongest bet. And I could see it just being like a lone song nominee. Um, Boots Rally coming from the musical world itself. I mean, obviously, that helps. Uh, but screenplay, I'm not ready to write this one off yet. Like if this does really well and a lot of people see it and it's a financial success, that along with the critical acclaim and definitely, I'm sure, it's going to pop up on a lot of people's uh, top ten lists, best films of the year list, etc. I, I mean, I could see it happening. I could see it. It feels
1: like an NBR best original screenplay
2: winner. Take that for what you will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, to Parm? Uh, like, what are your uh, ideas here on its awards potential?
1: Yeah, I kind of agree that movies like this, you know, generally in the past have always sort of been relegated to. Maybe you'll get a original screenplay nomination, and that's about it. And I kind of feel like it's still the same path for this movie. It because it is so unique. I don't know if the entire Academy is going to embrace it. I know that we have such a new membership in these last couple of years, but I do think that's still that's still an uphill battle for the for the film. I think it's going to really depend on how the critics are going to come out for this movie at the end of the year. If it gets cited at uh, so many different places for the screenplay or just for, like, you know, best of the year, that helps to keep it in the conversation, and hopefully we'll give a spotlight to it. But I'm not ready to say, like, definitely it's going to get in for original screenplay, but I do admit that I think it is a very likely contender for it.
2: Yeah, like, I mean, like, you guys may or may not remember, but when Get Out... And The Lobster, for example, which both ended up getting screenplay nominations for Get Out, The Win, originally came out early on in the year. I was like, it's original, like it should get in. I don't know. I'm going to kind of, you know, I'm going to be reserved and say no. Um, I feel like this is more along the lines or maybe stuck in between. It's like stuck in between those two. And another two films that I feel are the standout, like, original films of the last two years, and that's Colossal and Swiss Army Man. Um, like, I, I definitely feel like it's somewhere in between those four movies.
1: Yeah, of course, the big difference between those films is that two of those made money and the other two did not.
2: And no, that's and that's why I'm saying that I think that the success of this film is – Paramount in its awards potential, possibly happening in the later half of the year.
1: Yeah, but I think it's got a good chance to, you know, have very strong word of mouth. People really enjoy it. Even if you're kind of on the fence about it, you can't deny how original and unique it is. So I think it it has staying power within uh, the kind of time frame that it's in right now. And that's going to really, really help it.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly where I fall on uh, with my final thoughts with it. I admire it more than I like it because I, I do I do believe that third act is completely bonkers and totally out there and uh I I don't know. I mean
1: Well the thing about this movie is that and what I find so fascinating and have kind of discovered it as as I'm talking about it is for every complaint that you have, it does sort of work within the crazy world that it has created for itself. So, even though it does have all of these different elements that it's trying to talk about and all of these different uh, themes that it's going in and out of, it kind of works for it because that's also what we're dealing with right now. You know, we're dealing in an, an age where outrage is not relegated to one specific thing. We got to have this juggling act in our own lives. And I think the movie recognizes that. And, you know, you can't just be angry about one thing, you can't just be. Woke about one thing You gotta constantly be in battle With all these uh, elements that are around you Mm -hmm. And even though that is overwhelming Sometimes from the movie's perspective It's also kind of necessary In terms of the type of movie and the type of story That it's trying to tell
2: Yeah, no, I I, like, you know I I totally understand, it's just that Let me put it to you this way The moment someone says to me Hey, did you see Sorry to Bother You The first thing that pops in my head Is an animal yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the first thing that pops in my head, and 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 that should not be the first thing that pops in my head, and because it is the first thing that pops into my head, it immediately makes me go, ugh. Yeah, it's the it, it it's the animal movie.
1: But I think a part of that is just the the shock. You're not I, and I
2: think that's what back. and like I said, I'm willing to I'm willing to rewatch this movie a bunch of times. I, I can't wait to purchase it on Blu-ray, because I believe me when I tell you, I cannot wait to show this to some people. <laughs> um, and, you know, I I definitely do like the movie. I don't want people to think that like I don't like the movie. I do. You know, that third act it just didn't work for me. But the first two acts I think were absolutely brilliant. And I think the whole movie all around I I think it wants to be brilliant, but I don't feel that it fully gets there by the end. That's, I'll leave, I'm going to leave it at that. There's not much else I can say without repeating myself, I think. So I'll settle on a six out of 10 for now. That's what I gave it out of Sundance. However, um, I do leave room for a seven or an eight, as Will gave it, I don't see it going higher than that, but maybe over time. Um, but, you know, rewatches definitely could play a huge factor into that. I definitely don't see my grade going any lower, though, because, like I said, on the whole, I really did enjoy it. Um, it's just, I, like I said, that third act uh, just completely lost me.
1: Yeah. Walking out the movie, I kind of had a a six out of ten. As I've thought about it more, as I've talked about it, it's kind of gone up to a seven, I still, what kind of prevents it from me going higher is that I still feel the amateurish filmmaking and that does get in the way a little bit for me. It's like a really great introduction to somebody's voice as a filmmaker. And I think with another outing, those rougher edges will get sanded down and we'll get something, you know, even better from a a filmmaking perspective. But as is, you know, even with its flaws, it is still a very interesting movie and something that does really need to be seen like i i would still very much recommend people looking you know seeking out this film and and watching it you might not even love it when you walk out of it but you will find something to talk about and that to me is so important in a movie to actually have a conversation worth having afterwards
2: yeah no perfectly well said um i'm definitely excited to see what he does next yeah how could i not be So I, I just I just wonder if he'll have complete freedom and total control. I guess that will depend on the success of this movie financially um, I, I was listening to his interview with uh, with Chris Tapley the other day on playback and uh, one of the things that he said was that um, people did try to change the screenplay. Um, producers did try to even get him to like kind of change the movie after it premiered at Sundance a little bit and that did not happen. Um, oh, no, wait, wait, it was a combination of uh, Tapley's uh, podcast and also uh, IndieWire I was listening to as well. Um, they both expressed those, uh, those same ideas that uh, changes were positioned to Boots, but he stuck to his guns. And the film that's being released is the same film I saw at Sundance and the same film that, you know, all the way through, which I admire of a man as an artist for sticking to his guns with that. And I admire Annapurna for picking it up because I, I couldn't figure out for the life of me who was going to pick this movie up and then how they were going to choose to market it. But they've done a brilliant job. They've done an absolutely brilliant job with the film. It's got people talking, like you said, Josh, and that can only create for a very productive community in the end for some of the ideas that the film is talking about. Hopefully it is that conversation starter and hopefully it also helps to keep people active as well. Totally agree. Because it does work as a form of activism, actually, which is really inspiring. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts, gentlemen? No, sir.
1: I would r- just recommend people go check it out and see it for yourself.
2: Yeah, my, my voice is getting a little hoarse at the moment. Uh, but, you know. Ah! You'll, you'll get it once you see the movie. Well, yeah. I, I'm sorry to bother you with that pun there, Will. But can you tell everyone God where they can it. find
0: you on the internet? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can find me on uh, Mavericks Movies on Twitter. I can't do the white voice. You can find me on Mavericks Movies. You can find me at Mavericks Movies on Twitter. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, Parham, how about you?
1: Um, You can find me on Twitter at Jr Parham.
0: And you can
2: find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Sorry to Bother You on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on Castbox. Be sure to leave us review on Cash iTunes. Castbox. Let us know what you think of the
0: what? Castbox. that It was a bad pun. Just keep
2: going. Oh God. Ah. iTunes, review, Patreon $1 minimum exclusive podcast content you guys know the drill we will see you all next time